Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. I'm Harrison Greenbaum, your uh, your host. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Harrison Comedy. Pretty easy to remember. There you go, Harrison Comedy. And uh, you can also join the IBM who is presenting this, the International Brotherhood of Magicians. You can join that wonderful organization by going to magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. Super simple. And this show is every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time or 4 p.m. if you're on the West Coast. Thank you so much for watching. We're already on episode 13, a very lucky number. Uh, our last episode was Matt Franco. We had a, a wonderful surprise guest in his grandmother, which was super exciting. Uh, and we also had uh, last week, Amazing Jonathan and Pendulette. It has been uh, an incredible journey. And I am so excited for today's episode. Hi to Clark. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, by the way. Hi, Pete. Thanks so much for watching. People from Nebraska are watching. We have people from Connecticut, um, very exotic Pennsylvania. So thank you guys so much for watching from all around the country. And there are some people, I think, from Australia as well. So all around the world. But our guest tonight, this is the first time we've ever had a surprise guest. He was a surprise guest on episode two, Kaylin and Ginger, become our featured guest. And boy, uh, this is so exciting. Uh, he is uh, one of the funniest and most skilled sight of hand artist in the world. Uh, he is a fantastic magician, a fantastic guy, and uh, an incredible practical joker. I think uh, my first time encountering uh, our guest was on World's Greatest Magic. Uh, I remember seeing that uh, raccoon come to life, and I've been enchanted ever since. Guys, make some noise. Get excited from the comfort of your own home or apartment or tent. We don't discriminate. Make some noise for Ohio's own David Williamson, everybody. Yeah, I can do that. $25 and make sure all the kids are wearing masks. Okay. Yeah. And don't touch it. I'll be six feet away. And I'm not going to touch any of the, Oh, I got to go. Hey, did you just, hey. you just, did you get that call too? Yeah. I, I don't think I'll do it. I, it's a Zoom birthday party for three years. I, I have a friend who was a ventriloquist, get a sincere call where they asked him to perform with a mask. And then he had to explain to them that that kind of undercuts what a ventriloquist does. Is that for real? Yeah, 100%. I love that. Yeah, I can be a ventriloquist if you make me I wear know. a mask. Like, uh, yeah. That's a Thank you so much for joining me. You're in, in uh, Ohio right now? I am. I'm in uh, beautiful Yellow Springs, Ohio. And look at all my friends out there. I'm looking at everybody. Yeah, Bruce St. Clair uh, waving a bunch of times or clapping, depending hey, on what those hands are. Or he's just praying for you a lot. He might be uh, concerned about your soul. I don't uh, know. Linda Harrison from West Australia near Perth. Hey, good day, Linda. Yeah, uh, I think I don't know what time it is there, but I think it's 1993. I think there's a big time shift. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna go there in that case. <laughs> I, I was doing some research on you, doing some background stuff, and it looked like your first one of your first jobs in show business was playing the genie along the interstate. Uh, will you either confirm or deny? Already, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no foreplay. We go straight into it. That's how I've heard that about you. Exactly. <laughs> Jeannie, uh, my mom drove me uh, along Interstate 70 and we go to these truck stops and I would do, there was a troupe of belly dancers that when my mom was uh, involved in this belly dance class at the sit at the uh, community center for exercise, you know, today it's yoga, goats and things like that. Back then it was a belly dance thing and this woman <laughs> was a, that had some belly dance class and my mom. And she said, you know, I take my little troop out and we go to these little lounges on I-70, Springfield, Ohio, and so forth. And, uh, oh, my son does magic. Maybe he could. And my, they dressed me like a genie, put me in curly shoes, 
I would run from table to table for these drunk truckers and overnighters. And all <laughs> I said, you know, they were there for the hoochie show in the lounge. They they didn't know it was a Middle Eastern dance. They didn't care. It was you know they saw mom's bellies. They you know, and, you're like uh, the holes in the bathroom stalls. It's so easy to do SpongeBob tricks through them. What? Anyway, <laughs> I. Uh, so how old were you when you were performing at these truck stops? Fifteen. Oh my gosh. My mom had to meet, you know, my mom was a single mom. She had to sit there because I was underage. She had to come with me. She wasn't one of the belly dancers. She would, she knew the lady who was a belly dancer. But then every once in a while, I'd wake up on a Saturday morning and there'd be some stranger in the, you know, cooking eggs. <laughs> Did I do magic for you last night at the lounge? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but no, those were the good old days. Yeah, I think I have a picture of it. This is the youngest picture I could find of you. I don't think we had cereal bowls that big. You sure that's, that's right. just straight a cot? You literally had just just short enough hair to be able to yeah, see. Yeah, that was before Michael Finney took a bunch of when I opened for him in uh, Reno, no, in Tahoe, Caesars years ago. It's my first kind of casino stand-up gig. I had bangs. And he took a handful of gel. And he goes, "Got to get your hair up out of your face," and he went like that. And my hair stuck straight up, like something about Mary, and I went on like that. <laughs> Here's a picture where the hair's slightly shorter. You're getting a little bit taller. That was my first magic set, Christmas. Look at that. And oh, you know amazing. I really like that magic set because my pants are unzipped in that picture, I noticed. Yeah, that is true, right over there. But that was uh, my mystery. That's one way to pay for it. Magic set. I love that thing. It all started then. Do you remember the tricks that you did from that set? It was a, a glass, a double glass had a hook on it, and you put it through a tube, and then the water disappeared. You make the water appear in the glass by going through. The there was a lot of great tricks in that little set. It was awesome. Yeah, I think uh, the, I found a lot of pictures pre-thinny, I guess, because this is still uh, hair down. Yeah, so you had the big, uh, the big 70s hair there. I you also have this one. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't keep the deck squared for some reason. Where do you find these things? It's a great subtlety. Uh, find these on the dark web. <laughs> uh, and, and after you did all that, uh, you were the genie. You were uh, cleaning dishes at a dinner theater and making sandwiches. Sandwiches? No, I was a dishwasher in a Greek restaurant by day and working at the dinner theater by night for a year. It was after I won the gold cups. So the IBM gold cups in Pittsburgh, brought those home proudly, put them on the shelf, put my apron on and went back to work for another year while Marsha was going to college and we were living in Fairborn, Ohio, and we had to pay rent. And I was doing magic at night, not making any money, but washing dishes every day. <laughs> Eight to seven days a week in the uh, after in this Greek restaurant, and they'd go. George and Taki, who owned it, call me out from the kitchen all the time. Come here to the bar, do a friend, trick for my friend. I do a little magic trick. Okay, get back there, and get that lasagna off those pans. He's an award winner, you know. Right, exactly. You're like these hands won the gold cups yeah. <laughs> at IBM. You want me to clean dishes yeah. with them? <laughs> hey, I, I have a work ethic. I mean, I saw the value of uh, work and. Uh, <laughs> You know, it humbled me, that's for sure. That's why I'm was, so humble now. Was that act that won you the, the Gold Cups in 81, uh, was that a funny act or was that a serious act? No, I wasn't. It was very serious back then. I was a very serious student of the art and I was nervous as hell. And the only reason I won that is because my buddy Mike Amar was one of the judges. I had to fix him. <laughs> Johnny Ace Palmer came in second. He was not happy with me. Oh my, he probably killed the, the chicks in retaliation. 
I used to room with Johnny Ace at magic conventions and I'd be down at the bar, something after the show or something like that. And people, and uh, these ladies would say, Oh, I just love Johnny with those cute little chicks. I go, what do you mean cute little chicks? He flushes them down the toilet before. He does, John. I go, what do you think he does? What's he going to raise them? Of course he does. He's not going to get an airplane with, I'm lying. He didn't do that. He was very kind <laughs> to take him home or something like that. But I started that rumor. So, cause all no, I heard is Johnny Ace Palmer is so nice. And I just, bothered me so i'd like put the rumor out that he just in the toilet flush yeah i just love the idea that he gets second place and he's like this is for you just picks him yeah, up this well, one. This one. Have their little necks <laughs> you, you've had a lot of Next, my close at one of the conventions had a little key fob that made chick sounds i don't know where he found like beep, 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 like an easter thing and he turned that on during the close-up show in the audience and johnny was like They've escaped, you know. He's trying to do a symbol. He's looking around. <laughs> it's great. Have you ever tried to hug a dove guy right before he went on stage? That's my favorite. I did keep a dove guy in the wings for a long time <laughs> because I went on stage and went like 40 minutes for my 20 minute set. I Kalush had gotten me drunk at Toledo Convention and I just went on and on and on. And there's a guy there and the dove doves. Uh, kind of forgot, you know, they only know their act for about 15 minutes, then they forget. Right, exactly. You're standing there with dub shit and his sleeves going, excuse my language, dub crap, going, come on, Williamson, unprofessional. <laughs> I was a close-up magician. I didn't belong on stage. I was so unprofessional. But no, I think there's something about the, the live nature of what you're doing is it's hard sometimes to predict how long it's going to go because you're kind of winging it sometimes. Well, that's, I mean, it's when you hired me at a magic convention back in the 80s and 90s, you're taking the risk that you're not getting a professional, but it could be, it's a 50-50 chance it's gonna be a lot of fun and memorable, but there's another 50% chance it's gonna be a disaster, unprofessional, and everybody's gonna be mad at the end of it. So you took the chances when you hired me. I, I think like that. That, should be, that should have been on your, uh, on, your, on your brochure. Either you're gonna get the funniest set of your life or there's gonna be dead doves in the wings and a magician crying. Yeah. There's actually a quote from uh, Mike Caveney. You were the, you were actually the the second cover story, I believe, ever of Magic Magazine. Uh, Lance Burden was cover number one, and then this was cover number two. Number two is right. <laughs> did you come up with the idea for this photo, by the way? I did because uh, Stan, you know, we were at FISM in Lausanne in uh, 1991, and we're all, three of us are sitting there, me, Mike, and Stan, just kind of talking. And Stan goes, well, we just had our first issue. He was handing them out there, I think. Lance Burton on the cover. He, he said, I worked so hard on this. I haven't even thought about what we're going to do for the second issue. I have no ideas yet. And Mike's sitting there. He goes, scratching his back. <laughs> what about Willie? <laughs> <laughs> Stan goes, okay, because he didn't have to think. So he goes, get me a picture. And I ran to this photographer and just took all my junk. We grabbed a trash can out of his alley and shot that. Yeah, there's another picture that uh, lent itself to the title, which is he can't even draw in the lines. Is, is that you ruining one of Mike's precious magic books? That was one of my precious magic books. Oh, no. <laughs> the Tarbell, one of the old ones. Do you still have it? I do. Oh, that's a piece, that's a piece of magic history now. Well, Come will buy it from you when you die. Yeah. <laughs> it's really worth absolutely nothing. There's a, there's a quote in the article. Oh, wait, go back. See those magic books? Yes. Sorry. See that Our Magic and the uh, Greater Magic, and what's that, a Hoffman over there? Yeah, there's a Modern Magic here, and modern it looks like John Carney's Carnicopia. Carnicopia. That's the only one of the all those books that didn't come from this collection that I bought when I was doing Magic at uh, Magic Masters in Washington. 
this policeman came in and he said, hey, I got a bunch of old books. Uh, there's a magician who's been living in my attic for 15 years as a recluse and an invalid, and he just died. I go, where do you live? He said, on Queen Street, which is where I lived in Arlington. He was a block from me. I go, what was his name? He said, um, oh, God, what am I? Uh, Henning Nelms, Magic and Showmanship for Magicians, famous, famous book, famous. Henning Nelms lived a block from me in this guy's attic for 15 years, and I had no idea. He was an invalid, a recluse. So I bought the books for a couple hundred bucks, and they all had his book plate in the front. So those were all his books from that. Uh, I was an instant rare book collector <laughs> uh, overnight. Henning Nelms, I said to Al Cohen down in Washington, I said, uh, did you know Henning Nelms? Oh, yeah. He wrote a great book. Huge racist, though. It's a shame. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anti-Semite, apparently. Okay. Oh, God. I feel like that's one of my favorite things about reading old magic books is that <laughs> you find really weird instruction where it's like, this is a hilarious routine about Orientals. And you're like, ooh. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Weird props where there's no business for there to be Native Americans in them. Uh, but yeah. the, the quote uh, from the article that I wanted to bring up is, oh. uh, and this, this article is written by Michael Caveney. Uh, he wrote, today, David says he can't imagine doing routines the same way every time. If he, were to, if he were forced to adhere to a script during each performance, he would quite simply change careers. <laughs> uh, how things have changed. <laughs> Me in the... Uh... Circus 1903, where I have a script and it's every night the same thing. Well, that was what I was about to ask you. How do you, was there a change or an evolution over time or was that just something yeah, that- I grew up and I got this and I became a professional. And, uh, you know, that was a young man, that was a young man going, I'm, uh, you know, improvising genius and uh, I, I wouldn't want to do it the same. I was a close up guy working tables at that point. And then I started getting real jobs in production shows where they expect results and they expect this result every night, the same one they saw last night. They don't want you out there, you know. Right. Uh, but, you know, having said that, uh, I leave room to have fun in all my shows. You know, hopefully some of that vestigial stuff comes over and I'm not on automatic pilot on every night. But you know what it's like. You're a comedian. You go with what is happening in the room, even though you have your set. Yeah, I always tell people that the key is you, you have to know the map really well so you can go off-road it. That's exactly right. Yeah, I didn't, and I was late coming to that uh, realization because I was winging it for so many years and that kept me, that kept, actually kept me from progressing. And then once I realized the power of a script and the power of a plan, you know, and then the, the joy of diverging off of the path, but you have to have a path to diverge off of. If everything's just wandering, right, exactly. it can be a disaster, you know. It was like I, when I opened for Richard Lewis, it was the first comedian I saw who would go on tangents and then never come back to what he was in a tangent from. So he had this nesting doll that never sandwiched back. And it was just a series of fantastic premises that I still to this day do not know whether what, what the punchline is. Yeah, yeah. Well, he could pull it off. He was wonderful. He also signed a wall that nobody asked him to. He, they had to repaint the whole dressing room because he just assumed, he just took a big marker and wrote Richard Lewis. And the, uh, the guy who was, sort of organizing the gig for us. He was a new, he was a, an assistant who was uh, sort of getting promoted. So he was running the gig. It was one of his first gigs he was kind of really running. And he comes running and like, holy crap, they just painted this dressing room. And now we're gonna have to repaint it. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, although that falls into the, the bucket of uh, practical jokes and, and doing things, uh, doing inappropriate things backstage, which I've heard maybe you've done once in a bloom. Never, 
Never. <laughs> Actually, before we get into that, because we mentioned animals, and I, I mentioned Rocky at the beginning. Um, a lot of people, I think, remember you from World's Greatest Magic, and there's a the Rocky Raccoon is something that's synonymous with with who you are. It led to a lot of copycats. What what is your what what is that like, and how do you feel about all the people who bought Rocky the Raccoons after they saw you do it? Well, I didn't care because I was selling most of those. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was just a you know I didn't I never intended to become synonymous with Rocky. It was just I got that job at Magic Masters and I watched great performers like uh, you know Dennis Sowers and Mike Abson, the pitchman who taught me the raccoon, and I still haven't reached their level. I called them the Lord of the Springs. <laughs> when they did the raccoon, it was the the thing came alive. So I'm I'm just a hack compared to them. But I was lucky enough to be able to get some higher profile gigs. Uh, there was a guy who ran around the conventions years before I even joined Magic Masters. Um, oh, why am I blanking on his name from Atlanta? He was doing Rocky before anybody. Somebody write his name in there real quick. I. Uh, Shoot, I'm blanking. Anyway, he was a wonderful comedy magician. He's still a stand-up comedian. Doug said he bought a Rocky from Dave. No, he he he. Somebody bought a Rocky. This guy Doug. I sold a lot of Rockies, but anyway, I I was late to the Rocky game. There were people doing Rocky before I did it on stage, but I was the first one to do it on network TV, I think. And then boom, it took off from there. And the only reason that happened was because uh, I was working in the shop, and I get this phone call from. Uh, Milt Larson, and he said, we're doing a show called Magician's Favorite Magicians, hosted by Harry Anderson. We're gonna have you know all these great magicians on there, and you, and I go, me. And he said, what would you do? We want you to do something in the audience. Do you have any idea? What would you do? And I go, uh, and I, Jeff Justice, thank you so much, Matt Roberts. Jeff Justice was the magician I first saw when I was a teenager do Rocky Raccoon, hilarious. Um, and, uh, and I did what everybody else did. I bought one from him and it sat in my drawer for years. And then it took me to work at Magic Masters and sell them to actually use it and get good at it. But anyway, when I, I was on the phone with Milton. I said, um, how about if, and then I made that routine up on the phone out of fear because I wanted to go on TV. So I said, how about if I take a deck of cards and then the ladies purse and do them, get some guys, we throw the thing in a hoop and a thing. You're hired. And I go, great. And I hung up and I go, how the heck am I going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I went to Collector's Workshop and Nick Ruggiero uh, built this raccoon cage for it. The same one I still use 20 years later uh, to make the raccoon jump out, raccoon cannon jump out and catch the card. And the rest, we just winged it and made it up as we went along. And uh, and that's been it. And what? What? how did you, because you you're a serious award-winning magician in 1981. You, I think you're actually the first person to win the gold cups. Uh, ever. Yeah, that was the first year they had them. They, they kind of decided to give this extra award that year. I think the only reason I got it was because they really wanted to give it out. They were so proud. <laughs> of they had gold plated, you know, and they He's go burning a hole in their pocket. And like, we got to give it to somebody. With the apron, you know, and the dishpan hands. And how did, is it a slow, like, just adding comedy bit by bit? Or was there a moment where you just kind of broke and said, no, I want to be, I want to be funny? It was. It wasn't a moment, but it was in a compressed period of time. I was working the dinner theater in Ohio. Was wearing a tux every night, and I was very, you know, I wanted to be Paul Gertner with the perfect hair, and I wanted to be Michael Amar, and I wanted to be Darwin Ortiz, the sophisticated, you know, the I call, thought of myself as the Lance Burton of Denny's. That's how I saw, you know, I'm working this crappy place, but I just wanted to 
just impress them with my skill because I took magic very seriously because I worked very hard at it. And I, and my, the people I admired were very serious students of magic and talked in serious tones about it and, and, and uh, recommended important books. So as a young man, I took it very seriously and that's the way I performed it too. And then one day I took a road trip and I went saw Tom Mullica at the <laughs> Tom Foolery. And I went, Oh, because he did magic that was great, but he wasn't serious at all. He was a clown in the best sense of the word. And I never laughed so hard and saw such powerful magic all at the same time. And a little uh, switch flipped for me. And it was like, oh, I have permission to be an idiot. Because at home with my brothers, we were goofballs. We were madcap and just crazy. But when it came to magic, I closed that door and it was like, it's a whole different life for me. And I went, oh no, I can leave the door open, I see. And then I started having fun and it went back to the dinner theater and I just went, oh, I'm just gonna have fun now. Let my id go rampant. And it took me a while to tame it, you know, and figure out how to make a piece of entertainment that was palatable, not just some weirdo throwing, knocking tables over and throwing shoes at people. Right. <laughs> you know, over the line, then you gotta come back a little bit, then you go back and you gotta find, you know, it took me 40 years to figure it out and then COVID hits and now, I finally figured it out. Boom, no work. So this that's my story. Well, speaking about that, you know, one of the things that's so funny about you, one of the things that you do so well is your physicality, where you're sort of manhandling children and the audience. Is that something you think you're gonna have to uh to adapt and change? Yes. <laughs> have you thought about what you're gonna do? No. <laughs> that's fair. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do Zoom show. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I'm, you know, maybe I'll just start go back. I think that dishwasher gig is still available. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> the restaurant's still there, owned by the same family. So that that might be a that might be something good for me. Has there ever been a time where somebody's felt you've gone you've gone too far, yeah. or, or or been upset by yeah. by what you've done? Yeah, lots, <laughs> including me. <laughs> you upset yourself? I went too far. I'm mad at myself. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I've even heard you say, you don't know where the line is till you cross it, right? Yeah, that's that's always my excuse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me, too. me too. I heard, I, I read in an article that your wife, uh, some, sometimes you have a wife who tells you, out of this. you need to hold it back a little bit. Um, but you have a wife who always says you need to go farther. She did. She saw, I think she, to this day, hey, look at that. I had three wives. I was a bigamist, polygamist. <laughs> Yeah, you were, they were triplets and you had uh, they were all sister wives. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, she was always like, why were you holding back? I go, holding back? I threw fire at the audience. So, oh, come on, I've seen you do much crazy. You know, she was always daring me to get crazy. <laughs> She's not happy until you light the room literally yeah. on fire. <laughs> it was my brother. I had a younger brother who would sit at the back of the room and if I could make him laugh, then I knew it. That was my goal. I didn't care about anything else. I was at the castle once and he's sitting there all the way at the back of the parlor with Chuck Fain. And uh, just like this, like always, watching me do, you know, just like shaking his head, like what an idiot. And then if I could make him laugh, though, I knew I'd broken through. And it took <laughs> a Finally, I did one thing, and I saw him laugh, and it just broke me. I couldn't finish the show. After 10 minutes, I had to open the door. I was crying. Snot was coming out of my nose. And just I just had to have the people leave. I couldn't continue the show because he got me laughing so hard. I don't even remember what the bit was. But you, you've had those laugh fits where you can't stop. Oh yeah, I, those are my favorite thing because I, I I always when people ask me do I find anything funny, it's it's just like magic where it's sometimes things are not as magical for us because we know exactly how they work, but comedy too where like I feel like I'm a little bit broken like I yeah I when I don't really laugh at a lot I just kind of go oh that's funny 
Yeah, me too. Oh, comedians are horrible <laughs> like that. They're like, oh, fun, funny, funny. Oh, that was great. Yeah, funny. And you'll, you'll know Caveney will give you a sympathy laugh from the back. You know, I know he's out there sometimes because I'll say something and he'll go, ah. <laughs> That's it. Just, I heard you. You know, he didn't even laugh. It was just like a signal. Yes, that was funny. Uh, but, yeah. Actually, I want to give a shout out. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it. Here it is. Dana Daniels said, I remember you testing the raccoon, uh, raccoon routine at the castle. I know he had some health issues and, and, and he's doing better. He's doing great. So a uh, huge job. Yeah, yeah huge... I know. Dana's back on his feet. I know. We all got scared, Dana. I'm so glad you're up and about. That was a scary moment for us. Yeah, and we love you, Dana. So I just wanted to say hi to him. And Chad Long is in the house as well. Yeah, when I heard, he heard you were sick. I mean, uh, when I heard Dana was sick, I mean, I got on the phone and called his agent and said, what do you got? <laughs> you know, I, I will cover. Yeah, it's weird. I bought a bird. A parrot. I've eaten mine already. <laughs> First day of COVID. Nice. I have a lot of crackers I need to unload now that Dana is better. Uh, <laughs> uh, we were talking about, uh, we, we showed this picture. There's a book in there, uh, Carnacopia, in the article uh, in Magic that was about the 10 funniest magicians uh, of today. You were one of those. And you mentioned as your influence, uh, one of your influences was John Carney. Um, how did you first uh, meet him? What's that? How did you first see John Carney's uh, work? I heard a, I heard a story about that. I don't know. What you a, a, a terrible weather day and a lecture in Ohio. That's exactly right. It was a crappy day in Ohio. Ring five had our big monthly lecture. Five guys showed up. <laughs> the weather was so bad. But I was 15. I'm raring to go. I mean, I was. And John Carney came to town. He was 18. <laughs> and he comes in and he starts doing magic. And up until that point, I'd seen really good magicians. I've been to Magi Fest and Abbots, and I've seen good magic, and I've seen you know really good magicians do things. Nobody really fooled me. I, you know, I appreciated what was going on, and but John, everything he did, I had no idea what was going on. He fooled me with his relaxed attitude, his incredible psychology and skill, his naturalness. I'd never seen anything like it. And of course, he came from the school of Vernon and Fawcett Ross and those guys, Charlie Miller. You know, he was kind of a uh, protege of, of that school of magic. And I hadn't seen that yet. I hadn't seen that kind of uh, naturalness. And it completely floored me. And I just followed him around like a puppy the rest of his life. I'm always hanging. I thought he was like my big brother, you know, and I've always got my finger in his belt loop. I'll just, he was an <laughs> example for me on and off stage. I always tell people because he was always a gentleman off stage and a real ethical guy and a professional. So, you know, he kind of tamed me. I was this wild. I thought of myself as a wild, feral guy. I just love magic when I do anything and steal this and do con games. And, you know, he's like, no, David, no. Do it this way. Study this way. Read this book, you know. And have you spoken to him recently? Uh, talked to him. I talked to him uh, maybe a week ago, week and a half ago, something like that. All right. Well, let's I'll give you another opportunity to say hello. We have John Carney in the house. Oh, great. So, and so I'll do it cheaper than Williamson. And you want a mask? I got a Spider-Man outfit. Uh, <laughs> weird. Uh, you look like a pizza, ice cream, the whole thing, and I'll clean up after. But gotta go. So, hey, how's it going? Who's that orangutan in Planet of the Apes? That you look like him, <laughs> Professor Zayas or whatever his name is. Well, I was actually going for a for like a Kenny Rogers. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. He is orange. Look at him. It's time for me to fold him. <laughs> I know. I'm free to hold him. 
So, John, I, you, you were one of David's uh, influences, and, and now one of his friends. What? He's got the he's got a leak in the ceiling. He's got an umbrella open in his house. Like <laughs> you need to move out of that dump. I've been telling you for years. Amy's going to be very mad that you have that poster so near this link. This is evident link. Leak, yeah. Leak. It's a reproduction. It's a Norm Nielsen. Oh, nice. Uh, so, Joe, John, what do you have any crazy uh, stories about David? I'm sure there's a, there are plenty. Tell me how wonderful I am. Nobody wants yeah, to hear. Yeah, how about I, you know, I can't. I, I, Do you know why Brian on his head literally got bigger? Oh. I don't know if that was him moving closer. What was the one where I was peeing in the hallway? No, let's not tell that one. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of weird things. I, I, think, I don't think I can recall very many things, but I do remember a convention where David was improvising and he was in the audience and he's going, I need a volunteer for my next trip. You, sir, please help me. And he went over and he grabbed an infant out of a woman's arms. <laughs> And brought the infant on stage and started saying, no, I would like you to do this again. Eventually, he brings it back. If anybody else did that, there would be outrage. People would be rushing the stage and arresting him and taking him away. And But they just know he's silly and that he... That was, that was not an infant. That was Howie Schwartzman. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the baby's dead, but it was worth it. Right. But even kids, you know, when you get, you know, if I try something like that, if I get, Dave gets a boy and a girl up and he says, hi, how are you doing to the little girl? And then he takes the little boy and roughs him around and everything. <laughs> if I did that, I they'd string me up. But Dave, they trust him and they know it's silly and they're laughing too hard to get upset, you know, so. I don't know. Every time John and I work at convention, there's always one point where I go, hey, John, get under the table. <laughs> <laughs> And that's before oh, the show even starts. That's what's that. amazing about there it. There you go. Okay. <laughs> he goes under the table. What do I do? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but we did a, uh, a show at the Opera House there in your oh. area. What, what was that town again? Cedarville. Yeah, a beautiful old opera house. And uh, I did uh, Mr. Misto, and I did something myself. I did Dr. X. And, Dr. and X. these different films were Dr. X's. Your wife's uh, uh, horse writing, yeah, writing academy or something. But I, one of the gags was I started up a, near the top of the stairs, you know, on the side of the stage, and Dave didn't know this was coming. And I had taken. Wait, wait, let me set this up. Let me set this up. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. This old wooden opera house with the, it's like Ford's Theater where Lincoln got shot, you know, these boxes and so forth. And from one of the boxes, I just done the raccoon routine, and I hear boo, boo. <laughs> Doing <laughs> me wrong, wrong. It's Carney up in there. He's got a fez and a Nehru jacket and a little pendant, eye patch or something, and he's a little mustache. That's not in glasses, like Doctor Strange love. That is not how you hypnotize it. the animals. Boo! I go. What are you doing? Who are you? He goes. I'm Doctor Eggs. And I said Doctor Eggs. He goes Eggs. I go Eggs. He goes Eggs. Oh, Doctor X. <laughs> he goes, I'll be right down. And then <laughs> he, I don't know how, but this obviously boom, 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 boom. Uh, I didn't tell David, but I brought up my uh, empty case up on the top of the stairs. And when I said, I'll be, they could see my head up there. And I said, I'll be right down. And I went like this and I pushed the case. And it really sounded, and then yeah, I come off. Thought he had tumbled down these stairs. It was like was my spine. <laughs> <laughs> I also heard. Uh, I think it was at Nyaka. 
that there was a magic man prank that got pulled off involving a, a bunch of people. Well, yeah, there was a video of that online somewhere I saw recently, but uh, we used to do that magic man. You go, <laughs> that's when Dave used to enjoy things other than Diet Coke. <laughs> Sometimes at night at late magic. Regular night, Coke? I would take a uh, regular Coke tablecloth, put it around my neck, and I go, I'm magic man. Oh, John Carney's lecturing there, and I just burst through the dividing wall and knock his table over, you know, fly away, fly around and run out. And John's standing there going, oh, Jesus, you know. So we did that to people, and then they did it to me, and, you know, things like that would happen. How many people, what was the most magic mans that, that, have, that have occurred in a single performance? I don't know. Jay Marshall, you know, one, one time, then the next morning I'm lecturing. I'm a little hungover, and I hear boom, and Chris Kenner comes in. He's got a uh, pillow, and here, like he's got a big catch, he's got a cloth tablecloth around his neck. He goes, I'm Magic Man. And then another wall, boom, and it's Michael Weber, the same thing. No, I'm Magic Man. And then Mike Close, no, I'm Magic Man. And then Jay Marshall came in, and he had his teeth out, and a towel around his neck, and he goes, I used to be Magic Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Let's verify that story, because we have Michael Weber and Michael Close in the building. Me. Oh, my God. Look at the bearded. <laughs> <laughs> and this is only turning into an ISIS hostage video. But other my than my spirit gum keeps wearing off, so if I keep touching my face, it's just to make it look real. It for Carney, it looks like his spirit ferret is wearing off. Yeah, huh? <laughs> spirit animal nestling under his nose. And I like that Michael Close is here because now we get to see uh, Mike from um, Breaking Bad, which I think is very exciting. Well, there you go. Yeah, he got it from me. You should see his version of uh, oh shit, what's that thing? Oh, excuse my language. <laughs> You're the curry stick you went over the other day. Close the Say curry. Stick. I'm sorry, I missed it, David. You broke What's up. The, the curry routine you were going over the other day. The ten card. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Bundle of sorts. Never mind. Oh well. Reference hey, is gone. I came in a little late. Has Harrison dropped Richard Lewis's name yet? Yes. <laughs> right. Oh no, I can pick it back up if you need. <laughs> but. So, uh, Weber, what's wrong with your uh, microphone? I can't hear you. Huh. Huh. I don't know. Crappy microphone? Yeah. Oh, that sounds better. Hey, uh, you're upside down for one reason, one thing. Years ago, years ago, Michael did a cold reading with me. He was doing it during a card trick. He started, had all these personal information where I had been the month before, what the name of my son's best friend, and all these things. And I was like, there's no way, where, the dark, where's he pulling this information? He's just blowing me away. And then he finally revealed that I had butt dialed him by accident while I was in a two hour drive with my son up the East Coast. And he listened to the entire conversation. <laughs> so, he was, I will, in his I bank. And then, well. you know, years later, a month, you know, months later, he pulled it out and just completely floored me. On his way to do a lecture at Denny and Lee. And the entire trip was apologizing to his child that he was <laughs> taking him to the west. <laughs> and so then weird. I spent the next two hours apologizing to the guys at the shop for doing the lecture. Oh, so <laughs> I, I heard a story that involves the Old White Hotel in West Virginia uh, and a chicken. Does that ring a bell for anybody? I think almost all of you are involved in this. It, it does. Uh, Bill Hers, who runs Magic Corp, one of the um, 
myself, I'm trying to think who else. There, there were a couple were already working for Billy. And we kept telling him about uh, this kid, David Williamson, who's just the world's greatest sleight of hand artist and the funniest guy you're ever going to see. So he said, you know, eventually when I've got one of these gigs that's got 800 magicians at it, I'll slip him in. So if you guys are pulling my leg, it, there won't be a giant risk. <laughs> so this was an enormous job for Condé Nast publications back when they used to have things called magazines. And <laughs> There were the, the publishers and the editors and the board of directors from every Condé Nast magazine was at uh, the Greenbrier. But uh, for the motel equivalent of guys, could you come in back through the kitchen? They made us stay at this. Uh, it, it really was like right out of Psycho. It was like Bates Motel, except Bates Motel was painted more recently. Um, no joke. The mirrors were made out of plate steel so that they could not be broken. So they were like scratched metal steel. And there was an there was an enameled plate bolted to the door that said, please do not polish shoes with face cloths. <laughs> so class joint. So the the second best story of, of that is one of the important things about working for Billy Hurst back then was there was always kind of an indoctrination, some sort of practical joke that would happen. And you'd never <laughs> Amazing, be like a fraternity. You'd never be interrupted during your show, but you know, it would never sacrifice the show or the magic or the experience for the audience. But sometime between when you landed and when you took off to go back home again, you'd go through the ringer. So uh, Billy had never seen David do Rocky before. And uh, he, he must have done Rocky a half a dozen times that night for different audiences. The, the people uh, rotated through the groups. And, and when there were maybe only one or two groups left, um, I kind of gave Williamson a, a, a serious look and kind of shook him off a little bit. And he's looking at me like, what? And I, I said, please go, go talk to Bill Hurst before you do the next show in case you want to adjust stuff. He said, well, what is it? I said, please just talk to him. So he goes over and said, uh, is there a problem? And Billy says, you know, uh, I, I don't want to mention it. I think you did a great job. I think you're amazing. I'm going to hire you again. I think you're fantastic. <laughs> but, but since you asked, um, the editors and the board of directors from Pres Preservation Magazine are here. And as you can imagine, they're very animal rights centric. And uh, the, the woman who's the editor in chief of the magazine was in tears. She was. She couldn't breathe while she was watching you. She was having heart palpitations. She's the one that had to leave the room. And Williamson is just going white. The I blood. Completely bought it. I was like, I knew it. I knew this day would come. I am so sorry. <laughs> I knew this day would come. I knew it. It's real fur. I knew. <laughs> and, and we're like Billy. You know, uh, we're we're like Willie. You know, we tried to get you in with this guy. We tried. I guess the fit wasn't right. See, he was just. And then when everything was all over, Bill explained to him that there was a woman there from Preservation Magazine, but Preservation Magazine is about the preservation of architectural buildings. And uh, she thought it was hilarious and couldn't care how much he beat up that raccoon. So, I also heard that, that that same trip, uh, there was something with a, uh, involving a chicken. Yes, Caveney was at that show. So Williamson was the last to arrive. So uh, Williamson... Um, was everybody's I, in the diner everybody's in the diner we were in the I diner walked. he came went to his room and when he went into his room, there's a live chicken 
Now, if there was a hidden camera there, you still wouldn't get any satisfaction. Like, what's a chicken in my room? I went, oh, Caveney's chicken. Here, Bob Fowler, can I put this in your room? Thanks. <laughs> I grabbed all of my luggage down to the diner where all the guys are sitting there just waiting you know, for me to show up. And Caveney looks and sees that I still have my bags and my key in my hand. And he's like all of a sudden worried. He goes, you didn't check into your room yet? I go, no, there's a maid in there. So I told her I'd come back. He was like, boo. <laughs> Made. And uh, let me see your key. Uh, whatever, it's as big as mine. What the hell? <laughs> I go, what are you? And he finally just grabbed it and he ran down there and opened it up. There was no chicken. He's like, where's my chicken? He's chicken. <laughs> a day later, a day later, when Williamson came back from the show, there was a nest with an egg in it on his pillow. <laughs> By the way, let's double check that story because this is the record for most surprised guests, David. But Mike Caveney is also in the house. Oh, no. There he is. Maybe I'm true. None of that was true. Not what happened. <laughs> Caveman, what? Your mouth is a little bit blue. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I didn't get the mem memo. Sorry I shaved, boys. You're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so I did hear there was something uh, to do with the blue gum. I heard yeah. that that was also involved. Tell the story. Mike, tell the story. Okay, the blue gum is fine. But how about the next morning when Weber is in the limo with Bill yeah. Hurd and I. With the snowball. He's not feeling well. Because I made, I made the mistake of eating a Denver omelet someplace that wasn't Denver. <laughs> and so you stopped the car and puked your guts out the window. No, no, no. And I, Bill Hurd went into a, a convenience store and bought you on the way back and I puked my guts out. <laughs> But what did Bill buy you to settle your stomach? Uh, someone else was in the car. Bill might have taken credit, but someone else, it was like, uh, who the heck was it? Oh. It doesn't matter who it was. What did they bring you to eat? They brought me a paper bag because they knew I didn't feel, feel well. And inside it was a can of chili sauce, not chili, but chili sauce and two pink Hostess coconut snowballs. Yeah. That worked. Those, that settled my stomach immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so real quick, real quick. Mike Weber, Weber and I are in the uh, little uh, convenience store, and they had a little joke, Adam's Magic Joke Shop section, and he bought some blue mouth gum and some wax soap. It looks like soap, but it's made of wax. Long story short, uh, <laughs> we unwrap Mike's soap, throw it away, wrap up the wax, put it back in his bathroom when he's not there. And then we're all in my room, and uh, Bill Hurst, Mike Weber, Caveney, and me. And Weber gives me, takes out a Wrigley's gum and puts it in his mouth. I go, give me one of those. And he gives me a real one, too, real Wrigley's gum. Caveney goes, give me one, you idiot. And he gives him Wrigley's gum, except there's the blue gum inside that looks right like a regular piece of gum, but it turns your mouth completely blue. Same with Hurst. He goes, give me one, you idiot. So Weber and I are sitting there talking. The four of us are talking on two different beds, looking at each other, talking. And at one point, Bill Hurst looks at Mike Caveney. Mike Caveney has, Mike has blue lips. Uh. And he goes, you are an idiot. And for the first time, Mike looks over at Bill, who has blue lips. And with blue lips, Mike says, I'm an idiot. <laughs> You're an idiot. And that's what I took. And I about threw up on the floor. We were laughing oh. so hard. I, I don't think I've ever laughed that hard. I had stomach cramps for two days. And now we have to rush to get ready. We have to rush to get ready for the gig where Williamson has the gag coming. So everybody goes and gets ready. And it was black tie. So everybody's putting their tuxes on. 
and Caveney washes up, and Caveney's, you know, a, a, a road warrior. So he doesn't travel with anything extra. He carves a, you know, every time he's on the road, he carves a toothbrush out of a table leg or something. So he's got no shit. <laughs> like he's a prisoner. So he washes his body and his hair with the equivalent of a birthday candle. And so he comes out to hop in the car. He looks like alfalfa. He looks like, like, like a gloomy air. Gloomy air. I could not get that soap to lather. That was the line. He goes, I couldn't get a lather up to save my life. It was all he said when he got in the car. With no irony. <laughs> Here's actually a photo from the old days uh, with a bunch of you guys uh, and Chad Long in the front looking Chad extra wide. Look at Chad. Wow. Those were the good old days. I uh, also heard, uh, I think it involves Weber and it might involve uh, a few more, that in New Orleans, you guys were doing a, a magic trick for, for ladies. No. Involves some innocent stuff and some not so innocent stuff. We're not going to tell that. Someone else. <laughs> How but, about the story, how about the story when you made the movie with Matt King and almost cut him in half with an extension cord? I'm waiting for Monty Johnson to find that film. Oh. <laughs> Wait, no, Mike Close was the next recipient of a big gag. We were working at the Waldorf Astoria oh. for a big black tie event in New York, and Mike was the new guy that time. And Bill gathers all the magicians around, and he says, look, do what you want, have fun, have a great night, but don't do any magic. For Bob so-and-so, he's the president of so-and-so bank, and he's my guy, my client. I don't want anybody yeah. doing magic for him except me, because he thinks, right. you know, don't. And Mike goes, well, how will we know? And we all went immediately, you'll know. Yeah. And that's yeah, all I, my way of explanation. Yeah, I ended up, I, I told this story on my little Facebook uh, oh, you did? live broadcast. Yeah, but the thing that was crazy about it was that not realizing that you and Weber we're both in on it. <laughs> so after after hers gives us this little speech, I, I said to Michael, I said, well, how am I? I said, I'm not part of this world. I don't read Fortune. I don't read the Wall Street Journal. How am I going to know the guys I'm supposed to avoid? And Weber says, well, here's here's the way it is. They're, they're movers and shakers. So if you see a big knot of people, they're probably in the middle of it. I go, okay, fine. Well, <laughs> we're supposed to do an hour of walk around and then they're going to go in for dinner. So anytime I see like four, five, six people, I head the other way and I'm working for twos and threes and, and what have you. And the evening wraps up. And uh, the other thing I said to Weber was, you know, if Hearns is this concerned about people making him look bad, he shouldn't hire good magicians. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I couldn't figure it out. It was it was beyond me because you know I couldn't understand this this whole thing. So they ring the bell for dinner to end or dinner to start, and I just finished working these of doing magic for these three young people, and they couldn't have been the CEO of anything. And I've got the mem deck in my hand, and I turn and here's this guy, older guy, looking at me, and he says. Don't I get to see any magic? And I said, nobody did magic for you? He says, I haven't seen a single trick. I said, okay. So I start to do this mem deck trick, and we're in the middle of it, and I look over, and there's hers. 
No, and behind hers is me and Weber going, going, no, no, no. That was the thing that killed me. It was you and Weber behind the guy going. The way I remember it is you had the guy and his lovely wife there, and he had the two packets of cards, and she was holding a pencil with the little finger like this. <laughs> you were deep in the middle of this routine, and we go, and you went, well, thank you very much. I think <laughs> and you walk off real fast. So Bill, no, Bill walked, as I remember, Bill came over and said, well, I see you've met the CEO of whatever. And I said, well, Bill, he called me over. He asked me to do a trick for him, and, and her storms off. <laughs> we group up afterwards, and her says to me, so what's your story? And I said, he called me over. And then he turns to Weber and says, is that what happens? And Weber says, we tried to wave him off. <laughs> Just sells me completely down the river. So yeah. it, was all, it was all set up. It was all set up. <laughs> I also heard, I, and I don't know which one of you guys, which guys were there, but David, there was a, a bathroom vanish that was evidently very epic at a convention. You used a bathroom yeah. to make people disappear. Yeah. yeah. We did that. Uh, I mean, I did it several times over the years at different conventions because Max Maven told a story. I think it was Winston Freer. Mike, is yeah. that right? Our historian was yeah. Yeah. from the bathroom originally. I mean, the story I heard was he found a way to pull the medicine cabinet out of this old hotel and get in the wall system behind it and pull it back in. And that's how he was having an affair with somebody else's wife or something like this. Or he had to hide in the bathroom when the husband came. I don't know. That's how he found it. But uh, so I repeat. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I figured out how that. To he wasn't having an affair. <laughs> he disappeared. He, he said, I'm going to go in the bathroom and five minutes. I want you to come in and I will disappear. And he would take the thing off, get in the wall and pull it back in. And when they went in, he was really gone. Yeah, but uh, Horace Golden's granddaughter was back there with him. You don't know that part of the history. <laughs> I did not know that. There's got to be a lithograph of that somewhere. Yeah. She was the original pincushion girl, so to speak. Right. No, but David, <laughs> tell them what well, you story. Tell them how well, you. Know, I was at a magic convention, and uh, you know, and I had a few Diet Cokes, and I go, I figured <laughs> out. I told that story and I go, uh, now watch me do it. I can do it. And I went in the bathroom, come in one at a time. I had at that first time I had JJ, Johnny Johnson from England, be my doorman. Different people have been the doorman over the years. Weber was the doorman famously in Magic Con. Do you know to this day that you still fooled Doug McKenzie? We still fooled Doug. That. So the difference, <laughs> the difference when we did it together was so what happens is David goes in. We say, we tell you to, so it's like going to a haunted house. David comes out and goes, okay, guys, ready, and goes in. And I say, okay, count backwards from 10 so that people count 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All right, go. So the, and I think one, one at a time is the key. You, right, one at a time. There's 30 people lined up. Alone, you're able to look anywhere, under anything, into anything, and you come out and tell us honestly whether you could see him anywhere. So they go in and they're just the hesitation and the, cons it's their unbelievably, you know, yeah, some people have been waiting in line 40 nothing, minutes nothing, before they went in. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. And finally they get to the furthest stall, look inside and Williamson is on the floor, stuck between the toilet and the side of the stall, covered in toilet paper. But I'm holding, the key is I'm holding the toilet paper like this. Like one of those brass monkeys, you know. <laughs> so he tells them, go out and tell them. No, I don't say a word. Two and one. I don't say anything. They laugh. They close it. 
Then they go out and to a one, because the previous person did the same thing. He's gone. I never had to give an instruction. It was amazing. And then what happened when Doug McKenzie went in there? So this one time we do it and McKenzie is waiting. He's watching people doing it and coming out. He's the last guy in line. This room here where Williamson is and a woman's room right here with a space in between them and a water fountain here in the wall. So Mackenzie comes and gets around to me and says, can I like cut in front of the line? Will you let me in? And I said, Doug, you've got to. And David peeks his head out like for next. And I'm, I go. So Williamson goes across to the women's room and hides in there because it's two in the morning. There's no humans in Soto, only magicians. So I go, all right, you know how this works, right? And, and, uh, and he, he had just seen him peek out 10 seconds earlier as the last person came out astonished. So Doug goes in and has the real experience of David Williamson. And he talked about that for years and sold it. And now you've got him really having experienced it to 30 guys pretending to have experienced it. <laughs> and everybody thinks everyone else had the same experience. And Doug's saying, he was really gone. And the guys are going, yeah, he was really it's kind gone. Of like the trick with the cloth where you make two people on one person on stage disappear. Everybody believes that, you know, one guy believes that somebody else. Uh, Chad Long, by the way, said Harrison asked them about the show programs. Uh, well, that, that was the greatest. Hotel, Broadmoor Hotel. This was Bill Hers and the, the uh, smart person in their family besides the kids. The kids are both smart, but the smartest people between hers and uh, his wife, Gwen, is Gwen Scheuer. She's a genius. So her idea is, hey, all these bigwig magicians are going to be at the Broadmoor, and they're in all these different performance areas, and the company wanted a program. So why don't we do a program for the audience, but a different program that will leave in every room of every performer where everyone gets a great bio but the person whose room it's left in gets a horrible bio, <laughs> but a believably horrible bio. And I, you know, Williamson was fine with his. I didn't care about mine, but Bill Malone, oh my God. Bill Malone said something like, if you're looking for a card trick or a drink, ask Bill, because he's a bartender and a card trickster. That's all it says. <laughs> and this guy owns Malone's in Boca Raton, Florida. He's been on a million TV shows. He's one of the, oh, it's so good. Hey, Harrison? Yeah. I just emailed you a photo of the close-up crew at that, at that uh, gig. Uh, let me see. I, ha I have this photo, um, which I I love. This was a fantastic. Look at that. Old school that, photo. Uh, illusions. Right. I think that's where David and I really met the first time. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I had seen you uh, at IBM conventions before that play the piano for Jay yeah. and things like that, but I didn't really. Uh, that's the first, that's the week we really got to hang out. Yeah. Was the famous. Was, uh, 1988. Homer and Chris were there. Yep. Was good times. That, so, at that restaurant, at that restaurant, Bill Kalush was a young man and he wore cufflinks and he had a tie tack and he had the you know the, the very expensive suit drove a porsche and he was a playboy and it was a you know and from detroit he was still living in detroit at that time and he came down for the weekend to hang out with the boys and he was doing the invisible pass nobody could see it it was just amazing <laughs> and my mom came to see me do magic she drove over from dayton two hour drive and i'm having dinner with my mom and i go see that guy over there at the bar he's going to come over here and i'm going to ask him to do a card trick 
when I touch your foot like this under the table with my foot, just look him in the eye and say, nice pass. <laughs> I go, do it, Ron. Just look him in the eye and say, nice pass. When I, when I touch your toe, she goes, okay. She's eating her salad. And I'm, it is a pleasure to make your acquaintance, Mrs. Williams. Would you do a trick? It would be my pleasure. <laughs> hey, you know, does all this stuff, and then boom, there's this invisible pass. I didn't even know if he did it or not. I wasn't sure. I couldn't see it. It was just, you know, the shoulder went up a little bit or something. Touched her foot, and she goes, Nice pass. And she was so good. She was deadpan. She just went, Nice pass, and went back to her spearing his, you know, olive off her plate. And he turned sheet white. And <laughs> William's mom clocked my pass. <laughs> That's amazing. I have, by the way, the photo Michael mentioned. Uh, there it is. Hey. That is a uh, that is a rose gallery if I've ever seen one. Yeah. So we were all in this downstairs basement getting ready for the thing, this uh, kind of holding area, and he had roped off some dressing rooms for us, you know. And uh, there was a commons area with sofas, and they put some food, a green room, but there was a couple of little rooms where we can go change clothes. And I got completely naked except for my black socks. And I think I had a necktie on or something. When I came out and I go, does anybody have any underarm deodorant? And I'm completely naked. And they're all sitting there eating their food and stuff. And I just remember Peter Studerbaker had his plate. He goes, I'm not hungry anymore. There <laughs> 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 was, was there ever a time where any of you guys uh, – Thought, thought you might have pranked a little bit too far, or has there always, has it always been within bounds? No. Well, here's I was telling you the story the other day. Um, for example, we were doing a planning a show together once. I think it was Weber was there and Bill Hers and me. And Bill uh, calls me and he goes, "Look, uh, Weber's going to be there, so let's do this thing and screw him over. Let's prank Weber and do this thing." I go, "Great, okay, can't wait. See you later. Bye." Hang up. I immediately call Weber. I go, "Look, Hers." wants to prank you. So we said, we're going to do this to you. So it's time to double crossing. Oh, great, David. Thanks. We hang up. Weber, I, unbeknownst to me, calls hers. Williamson just told me if you're going to prank me. So let's do a triple cross and say, great, hangs up. Hers calls me. Weber told me that you told me. It got to the point, I didn't trust anybody and we all started getting pissed off. And we just had to call a general truce because <laughs> <laughs> Who am I supposed to f over? I can't remember. Oh. I also just love that. I think there are probably young magicians who are watching who who know all of your names, uh, who who don't realize how interconnected the magic world is and how much fun you guys all have together. Is that we spent more time planning pranks and gags than we? You know, we're working for these Fortune 500 shows. You know, it's a big for for these president of this company. It's his career on the line for this big meeting with you know. 20,000 employees there. It's the most important evening of the thing. All we can think about is how can we screw over Chad Long and tell him it's black guy and he'll bring it to Texas and he has to run across the street, which he did to Macy's to buy a top because we had Bob, we had a cummerbund FedEx to us at the front desk and said, that's for Bob Sheets. He doesn't know it's black tie. We're playing a prank on him. And Chad goes, huh? Black tie, and I go. What are you? Doing? He goes. I didn't. I don't. Have, I go. You're kidding me. I go. You better get one. He jumps. He runs through the lobby of the Biltmore Five Star Hotel, running at a gallop across the street in Scottsdale, the, the nearest mall, the Macy's, to get a tux and buy it and wear it that night. 
I don't know if Peter Studebaker is watching and said he never got his appetite back. <laughs> uh, not true. I've seen him recently. <laughs> <laughs> Roasted. Um, we are getting close to uh, to the end of the show. Um, but I want to make sure if you are in the audience. Um, and have any questions. The best you got for me? I thought, where's uh, Blaine? Where's Copperfield? <laughs> Oh yeah, they, they all said no, but these guys. <laughs> Disappointing. Uh, hey, but before I, we do, I would love to do a round table and have you guys share, um, you know, your thoughts about David and-, and okay, I'll go first. How you've seen him uh, change or not change over the years. Uh, uh, do you want to kick us off? Guy, ever since I've known him as a young man. <laughs> are, are you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, actually, you're the only John. Every single other person besides for David and me is named Mike or Michael. There's a lot of chatter. Uh, well, I, I, the only thing I I'm, was going to relate the you know there'd be no Misto without David Williamson because uh, you know David's a lot more brave than I am. You know, I, I can improvise off a script, but David can go way off script and he's fearless. And I, you know, I really admire him for that. Uh, but I was working on a card routine where. I call it an animated car routine. So the cards would rise and jump out and run up my arm and in and out of my pocket and all these things, you know. So I had all these effects, but I was just playing with it. It wasn't a finished routine. And so I, I, I would spin the cards into a hat. So I had a hat. So I was using that as part of the routine. And at one point, I just put the hat on and went, you know, I can't do that because of my whole body. I'm just kind of go like this, like I'm taking a bow. And then I continue the routine. And David says, oh, that's really funny. Why don't you do that character on Midnight Madness? And what was it? Rich Block's thing? Washington, D.C., yeah. 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 And I go, character? It's not a character. I just posed. I put a hat on and I posed. It's a, it's a card routine. I'm trying to, you know, fill it out, you know, have some presentation or something. No, no, do that character. Do that character. And I go, oh, what am I going to do? Because it's getting closer and closer and closer. And I go, oh, I got to do something. I So I'm sort of writing a script or... <clears throat> a backstory for him and, and I'm going, what's he going to look like and what, what tricks am I going to do? I, I don't know what to do. And uh, so right up till showtime, I'm backstage and I'm, I'm painting on a mustache because show did that, but I did a pencil mustache and I slicked my hair back. And I had these really thick glasses that gave me a headache if I looked through them for two minutes and I'm going, <laughs> maybe it should sound like Harry Blackstone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, no, what if you like this? No, what if you like this? And, they, and they're going, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Misto. And I walked on and I go, hey, ladies and gentlemen, how are you? And that's, I and it's had the same character the whole time. And I did. And we had a lot of gags planned. We had photos of magicians and we put funny captions to them and movies that we took. Oh, John, that was one of the funniest shows ever. And that character, it just, all of a sudden he was born. And everything you said was perfect, and every imp improv was perfect, and all the gags you had prepared. Mr. Misto came to life that night. That was one of the greatest nights of my life watching that happen. Oh well, it was it was really fun for me. But I, I just figured, hey, this is a character. I should do this character. So I went home and and just did my regular act as Misto for a while, the egg bag and the mice's dream and different things. And then eventually, I you know had the bacon a cake and a shoe routine. And that became Misto. But if David didn't ask me to do that character, you know, I never would have been born. So. That's amazing. I've been asking Mike to stop doing that character for years. That one right there you're looking at. Look at that. <laughs> so, doesn't work. 
Uh, Michael Close, what, uh, anything you'd like to say about um, watching David over these years? Uh, well, yeah, I'll tell you, uh, I, I was torn whether I should be funny or whether I should be serious. And um, you've heard me try to be funny, so I guess I might as well be serious. <laughs> uh, the one thing about meeting David when he came to Illusions uh, for that week of shows was that I had read about the striking vanish because Amar was going around the country and in his lectures doing the striking vanish. And it was credited to David in his in, in the notes, except it was Amar who was out doing it. And I, all I could think to myself was, boy, I hope this kid's got a few other ideas because <laughs> nobody's ever going to remember that this is David Williamson's move. And then, of course, we were completely you know, delighted to find out what a what a well of talent he actually is. And his handling of children is fantastic. Do you have that picture of my daughter that I sent? Can you put that up? I do, yeah. Uh, there it is. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, he remembers. So this is uh, <laughs> this is uh, David with my daughter, Ava. She was about six there, I guess. Um, By the way, can I tell you how nice it is doing this episode? Because anytime you normally hear magicians and children, it usually goes a very different way. Oh, this is going a different way. You haven't heard the rest of the story. Um, so we drove from Canada down to Columbus uh, for the Magi Fest. For uh, This is when Josh and Andy are doing it. And um, David's there. And we're in the restaurant. And David comes over. And I introduce him to Ava, who he had not met. And David immediately, you know, starts, starts the shtick and takes her doll. She had an American Girl doll. And he took it and walked away with it. This, of course, will be the insightful episode that will hilarity will ensue. And uh, she completely lost her shit. She oh, was yeah. so upset. She was in tears that this was happening. So she lost her appetite for William. Oh, exactly. So um, <laughs> I don't know if it was later that day in, in the evening show, but we we said to Ava. Listen, David wants you to be part of his show, and you'll really have a good time. Trust us on this. And and it was a delightful. It was a fantastic performance, and he he made uh, Ava a real heroine of the uh, of the drama, and it was great. But uh, you know, my hat's off to him because he's uh, there's nobody. There he is giving one. And um, I, I, it occurred to me, th is this awake? Because I was just yeah, noticing. I know. <laughs> natural. Career. Yeah, at the end of this broadcast, I'm just going to cut to a black and white photo of David, and we'll start singing in the arms of the angels. Anyway, I'm just thank you for inviting me. This one? I think I think this one would be the one in the arms <laughs> of the angels. Yeah, and it just puts 2020. Yeah, you really can't find bl uh, blotter acid that easily anymore. So it's. Uh... <laughs> I like any story or that starts or ends with that that sentence. Yeah, there you go. A anyway, thanks for having me, Harrison. This has been great fun. I appreciate it. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. And Weber, uh, there, there was somebody who was asking what you were doing below the camera because we have not been able to see your hands, but we have seen I, I'm actually, so David mentioned that he started out washing dishes at a restaurant. I'm working in that restaurant now. Hang on. Beef and broccoli! I'm trying to get the sushi platter. One sushi platter. Because I said I'd hop on the call, but you know I'm doing my best to make it. Just trying to get stuff prepped. Don't say that. <laughs> and, and Mike, uh, the, one of the stories that I heard that really touched me um, 
was that from Bill Hurz actually, um, who we've been trying to get on we're having technical difficulties getting him in, but he sends his love as well. Um, Bill mentioned that when uh, he was considering hiring David, you would call him and said, you gotta hire this guy, David. And Bill had said, I don't wanna hire anybody that I've never seen. And the quote I believe was, if Which you don't like David, to? what? Which Mike are you talking to? Mike Haley. Okay. Yeah, and you had said, if you don't like David, I will pay their fee. That's how confident I am in his ability. And I, I thought that was a really touching thing. What did you see in him then? And yeah. uh, does he that- He saw a $35 magician. <laughs> it was only a $25 risk. No, I saw what everybody saw. <clears throat> so I didn't feel like I was risking any money, but I did say that. I said, if you're not completely happy, I'll pay his fee. So here's what I remember uh, of the many, many stories. We were at a convention walking through the dealer room, and on one, somebody's booth, they had Attaboy. And I said, David, you should do Attaboy on the show tonight, on uh, the stage show. He said, what's Attaboy? I go, what do you mean, what's Attaboy? The card's selected, and you, you take it out of the little thing at the bottom, and you put it at the top, and you keep doing that. When the spectator says stop, that's the selected card. I wouldn't say that to anybody. That's a horrible <laughs> idea. But I knew I can already see David's brain starting to smoke. And he said, okay. And we said to the guy, can we borrow that? And I said, you need to lend this to David Williamson because if you've got eight of them back there, you'll sell them all. <laughs> so we went and sat down and David starts thinking and we start talking about something. And he came up with just about the funniest routine I've ever seen for that night, one only. It was a paternity test. We got a little boy up and and eight men, including his father, and they took their driver's licenses and mixed them up. And he didn't have enough, so he threw his in there. And now he's doing attaboy with driver's license. The kid's going to say stop, and that's going to be your father. Kid said, so well, clearly, he stopped on David's license, and he goes, what year were you born? Where were you born? Yeah, did your mom have a wooden leg? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good. So, so it's remarkable. And, and I always think about that. Whenever I'm in a situation, uh, whatever it is, it's a, it's a different performing situation or it's something I haven't encountered before or something, uh, this is terrible. I always say to myself, what would Willie do if he was in this situation? And, of course, I and never – the opposite, I hope. No, yeah. I never come up with the answer. I never know what he would do because he doesn't know what he would do until he gets pushed out there and doesn't. But at least it sets me down that path of I can try something that has never been done before and will never be done again. And it's not always great, but at least it's fun and different. So my hat's off to Willie. I don't know if that's the quote he wants on his website is it's not always great, but at least it's different. No, for me. Oh, I got you. <laughs> for me, with him, it's always great. No. That's awesome. And how, how did you, when was the first time you saw David? I think, I don't know. I, I can remember working at the Brook Farm Inn of Magic. That's the first time we really met. I saw you at conventions before that, but okay. I was too shy to talk to you. But the first mm -hmm. time I talked to you and Tina was at that Brook Farm Inn. And it was funny because the same thing as Mike Close. He, this this gawky kid comes up, oh, Mr. Gangley, my name's David Williamson. No, oh, striking vanish guy. Let me see the striking vanish. So, you know, he takes a coin, bang, looks like trick photography. What? Holy Christmas. Amazing. <laughs> so I do remember that. 
That's incredible. I, Ken Dunn said Mike Close Harrison needs to be on full. That's a story for another time. Um, but when you guys heard that David was doing The Illusionist and Circus 1903 and, and was going on that world tour, uh, what, what, what did you guys think? John, what did you think when you heard the, the, the I mean, it was great news, but what, what did you hear? What do you think? Perfect host. He's, he's, he really lended a lot of humanity to the thing. You know, he's playing the character, so he's not himself. He's, he's playing human. Uh, no, but he's very comfortable. <laughs> And he's great with kids, and uh, yeah, he's just a great character. So, yeah, they couldn't have done much better. Me, maybe. I remember thinking, <laughs> this isn't fair. <clears throat> it's like, okay, he owns the close-up world. He's the greatest close-up sleight-of-hand guy in the world. Not true. Can you just leave the stage shows to some other people? No. <clears throat> he had to go into the illusionist and then the circus 1903 and it kind of didn't matter who else they booked eh, they booked some circus acts but they had willie as the ringmaster that's all anybody went away talking about that's all they really needed i wrote the script for that show that's right and i'm proud to say willie never uttered a single word that we wrote <laughs> we didn't need it it was fantastic. one or two that slipped in there yeah I know it changed a lot. I mean, I, th I think that's a fantastic button to end on. With uh, it's not fair how good at uh, so many things David Williamson is. Um, and guys, thank you so much for joining us, John Carney. You can follow um, his stuff at CarneyMagic.com. Um, Michael Close has a show on Facebook. I believe it's every Monday, and you no, can check every every day of the week. Oh, every single day, uh, every single day of the week. Facebook.com slash Michael Close Magic. You can check that out. Michael Weber has a ton of products out. You can check those out as well. Mike in the back kitchen at Golden Pagoda. Yes, <laughs> at the Golden Pagoda. Uh, and Mike Caveney, uh, you can download uh, and buy his incredible books. And also a huge thanks to Tina Leonard's Arm, which has been making a cameo. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Love you, Willie. Love you. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank, thank you guys for showing up. This is so nice. Uh, this has been- yeah, exactly. They'll replay this at the memorial. Um, a huge thanks to uh, to Kenny Rogers. Um, we had uh, Mike from Baking Bad, and I think Alfred E. Newman in the bottom left corner. Um, before we go, uh, <laughs> David, uh, uh, David are you, there are young magicians who are watching, um, and I always ask uh, the, the guests to give some advice to them for people who are trying to pursue their magic. Um, what advice would you give to a young magician starting out? Make sure your girlfriend has a good job. <laughs> Mine is locked away in the bedroom right now, and she's definitely real. Yeah. Make sure you uh, hook up with somebody who has a way of earning money, if you want to keep doing that. <laughs> uh, I don't really, uh, you know, the best advice uh, that was given to me was don't do magic for a living, I, because I ignored it. I resented it, and it made me work so much harder to prove them wrong. So the favor I do to young magicians is I say, stay in school, get a real job, uh, do magic as a hobby. The best magicians I've known are amateur enthusiasts, but they make their living some other way. Magic doesn't have to be your living. And that's my advice because those who ignore me probably have the tenacity to make it. That's what that, uh, Chris Rock, when you ask him if uh, you should do, you know, what's advice about, you know, I, you tell him I'm a young comedian, and uh, what should I do? And he'll say, "Quit." Yeah. And if he and he says, and if you if you're stupid enough to listen to that advice, you probably shouldn't be a comedian. That's right. 
because there's plenty of people who go, yeah, it's probably good advice. I will go to school. I'll take a real job. And I've had them come up to me years later and thank me. In fact, uh, not to draw this out, there was a young man, very talented, young sleight of hand man who came to me very earnestly once. And he said, listen, I, um, my dad wants me to join the family business. I want to be a professional magician like you. What do I do? What do I do? I said, listen, your dad, go into the business. You'll always love magic. Today, he's a multimillionaire. He runs his dad's big international business. He flies all over the world with his beautiful family. He hires me for his trade shows and he always has a deck of cards in his pocket and he's still better than me. Uh, he's still a wonderful sleight of hand man. And he, to this day, he goes, you gave me good advice. <laughs> and you got some gigs out of it. So that's double, double, double. I, I did. I, I could see where they, yeah, just hire me. Yeah, you mentioned cool. in another interview, um, uh, try, the, the, the race is trying to get famous before you get bitter. Is there a balancing act between uh, success and, and the speed at which you get it? Why say that again? You talk so fast. Oh, that yeah, that's fair. Um, it's it's uh, all the coke. Um, I should I should say the soda. I've been live streaming for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> it's it's catching up to me. Um, I know there was another interview you did um, oh. where you mentioned the advice uh, that for comedians, the race is to become famous before you become bitter. That's right. And uh, you applied Where's it. People, uh, in a, a, a young, a young uh, comedy writer said that to me once. He used to work for Bill Maher, you know, and he. He knew all the players in the game, and that was his that was his uh, kind of take on it, to race to get famous before you get bitter in the world of comedy. And you know, that always stuck with me. And in magic, it's it's not quite the same in magic because people are in magic for different reasons, fraternal reasons, and you have different. But it is true to try. You cannot get bitter in magic. You know, you can't get fed up because you didn't reach some plateau that you were expected to reach by now and so forth. Uh, because you have to look around and look at all the friends. It's a life. It really is a lifestyle. And it's a fr international fraternity. And it's, uh, you know, all my friends are magicians. I don't know one layman who I can have a meal with and enjoy. I, I don't have to learn <laughs> with friends. All my friends are magicians, and it's my family. It's been my I life. I think your wife and daughter might resent that. <laughs> They're a layman. They've, been, they've seen, they know more about magic than most people uh, in the profession. No, that's fair. And by the way, here is the uh, the, the top half of Bill Hurst's head. Hey, good that's angle. A very scary angle, Bill. But I, I I wanted to get you in here before the end. Read the article by Larry Fong. Get that camera up at eye level. That's right. Can you hear us, Bill? No. There we go. We can't hear you. Turn your mic on. But, uh, David, why don't you do Bill's voice? This is what we deal with here, folks. <laughs> This is the kind of thing you want to be a professional magician. You got to deal with guys like this. <laughs> got to be nice to him because he's the money man. Hi, Bill. Oh, you're looking good. Sound great. <laughs> Bill, we'll, we'll try to get you back. Um, but thank you for joining us. I appreciate the quick cameo. Um, <laughs> you mentioned uh, a story Bill, about Bill. Bill is such a large part of my life. You know, Mike Caveney was kind enough to make that offer. If you don't like Williamson, I'll pay his fee. And that's what pulled the trigger. And Bill hired me. And not only did he save my life in that he fed my family for 25 years when I was working in the corporate world and beyond, he became one of my very best friends, confidant, and uh, one of the greatest human beings that any, you know, Bill, uh, that anybody could ever know. He's a wonderful guy. And uh, yeah, so I love Bill. I'm sorry he didn't come on. No, he's great. Uh, he, he wanted me, he just texted me. He wanted you to bring up the story about Mexico and, and his kids. Real quick. I was trying to fool my son and his daughter about the same age or about nine at the time. We all were on a va group vacation at a resort in Mexico. And I was trying to fool them. I had them pick a card, sign their name on it. 
and I and I go, look, uh, I put it in the deck, and boom, it's gone. I had palmed it off. I'm in my swimming suit. They're in their swimming suits. We're outside the resort. They go through the deck, and the card is gone. And I go, it's in the swimming pool over in the other uh, side of the resort. It's in the swimming pool. And they went, what? Because I wanted them to leave me alone. I wanted them to take a road trip. So they're <laughs> warming to that swimming pool. Well, for some reason, I just felt like doing this. I ran too, but I ran the other way. I ran around these buildings. They were running around this side of the resort. I ran up that side of the resort. I could see out the corner of my eye. They were coming around the buildings through the hedges, you know, over there. I'm about, I don't know, 20 yards from that pool. There's people swimming. I just, on a lucky, I just threw it like Ricky J. I just threw it as hard as I could. And it arced perfectly and splash landed in the pool invisibly just as they came running up to the pool and there's their signed card in the middle of the pool and i ran back there and got my you know under the umbrella and got my little my tie <laughs> i really came back and they, with this wet card they go how did you do and they were just amazed and i'm like <laughs> oh that's amazing david thank you so much for coming and 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 sharing all these stories yeah, oh, I think it's a real testament to how buddies. It was so great to see those guys. What a treat. Well, yeah, I was gonna say it's such a testament to to how loved you are that all these guys wanted to come on and, oh. and share their stories. Um, even Bill, who is running around his house right now, is <laughs> running around like a horror movie without sound. So I hope he's okay. He's gonna, um, gonna go clean the kill room. Yeah. His ceiling, his ceiling looks great, and I'm sure it loves you. Um, <laughs> Bill, thank you. Uh, did, did you get it? Wave if the stories were true. Yeah, that was this Mexico story, right, Bill? <laughs> Nod your head. Yeah. All right, we got it, David. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, please stay safe and stay well. And uh, yeah, I hope I, I get to hang out with you again soon. I keep doing these; they're great. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, David. David Williamson, everybody. Oh my gosh, David! And you got to uh, check him out on Twitter and on Instagram. It's Williamson Magic for Twitter, Magic Willie for Instagram. Uh, man, if there was a magician with doves waiting to go on after the show, they're dead. Um, but I think a, a supersized episode with this amount of talent is justified. A huge thanks to Mike Caveney, John Carney, Mike Close, Michael Weber, a very short but awesome cameo from Bill Hers, and of course, a giant, giant thank you to David Williamson, uh, the one and only what a fun episode. Thank you guys so much for watching. Who books that every Monday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. EDT, 4 p.m. PDT. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Harrison Comedy. You can join the IBM, magician.org slash join the IBM slash join. This has been another episode of Who Books That? A huge thank you to Alexander, the president of the IBM, Ryan uh, Piling, who helps produce a lot of uh, the content for the IBM. You should check out all the IBM uh, jams that he helps put together. Uh, they are awesome. And uh, Benjamin Budzak, who did the animations um, that uh, close and sometimes open these episodes. And Emily, my girlfriend who's locked in a bedroom, who is real and very awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining. My name is Harrison Greenbaum. This has been Who Books That? with Harrison Greenbaum, presented by the IBM, the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Thanks again, and we'll see you on Monday. Take care, everybody.